the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, The Power of Water and Water Life Science, and your health and the health of our planet that we're living in. Many of you have been listening this last week about uh, what has happened in Paris with the President of the United States, thinking he'd not continue with the Paris Accord to decline to global climate warming that uh, was in planning. And I'm going to surprise some of you. I have been studying for a long time, and you're right, who can know enough? It's impossible. Because as I've been teaching you on the show, that our atmosphere has been changing every moment of our breath since the day it began. And as I told you, the Earth, when it began billions of years ago, it had the water vapor around the planet for a long time before an evaporation happened in the vapor. And when that evaporation got heavier, rain came down, and the planet Earth began to absorb water. And the reason this show is so important is the education for you, for myself, and to never take for granted, we can't know enough. There's so much to learn. We've been spending billions and billions and billions of dollars and I believe the wrong direction. And that's me and some others that are in science. And have you ever noticed that scientifically, the, that what they're trying to do with all those grants, foundation money, and those contributions, by the billions of dollars, they're really not getting new technology for life on the planet to develop. And I've watched this, and it's startled me that there's been no new inventions. It's running around, I believe, just spending an enormous amount of money. Now, I do know what it's done. It's made a lot of people richer. It's formed a lot of big organizations that we would not have had. Maybe that was the invention. And that people are educating with the billions about our planet and global warming. And do you really understand global warming? Global warming, if you study it, means to me from the beginning of time our Earth has been in a cycle with the universe, influenced by the universe also because that influence from the universe is what started the first raindrop. Where we're at today, billions of years, is we're spending money without understanding where it's going. And who is paying for this now is the health, your health, the planet's health, and our water crisis. I'm convinced that the global warming means water problems, water vapor problems over evaporation, 
And we do not have enough fresh water on the surface of the planet to balance out the water vapor that we're breathing. The ocean's getting warmer and coming up on land, expanding, but it's fresh water that's the greatest influence on our planet and our health. And as I've been educating you, that your body is water. Every single organ in your body has a percentage of water. And people were startled years ago when I was asked to study the eyes. And what is dry eye? What is happening? You thought the word dry meant the eye drop could put some moisture on it and slow it down. And then when I came along with the public in the United States, now the world, dry means loss of water over evaporation. So I've been trying to educate you about the word evaporation of water, water loss over evaporation, like putting a bowl of water in your house in every room to let the air in the house pull out of that bowl of water what it needs. But have you noticed that the bowl evaporates and in time you have to put more water in there? Have you ever had a water fountain or a fish bowl in your home, which I do, and once a week you have to add some water? Outside with your water fountains, have you ever noticed you had to have to add some more water? It's evaporating. That's evaporation of water. It's not the cream. It's not the lotion. It's not the chemicals that we that we should use. It's water. We need better education about water and evaporation, so that we understand that every human being is evaporating, but no two human beings are evaporating water the same. No two eyes alike. No two fingerprints alike. We're all different. And our planet Earth, have you ever noticed in every country how the countries all have a different look? Is there one that's just exactly alike? I haven't seen it yet. Maybe it is. Now, global warming is water problems. We need to make sure there's enough fresh water on the surface of the planet to be able to balance the atmosphere's water vapor so it doesn't over-evaporate. And then we will not over-evaporate as a human life. Have you noticed that we're not finding the cures of our diseases the way, way back in time? They left the study of evaporation behind long ago because they didn't know what to do with it. I chose, it's too important to the health of our planet, the health of our lives, humans. And we need to save our lives. We need to save our planet. And we need to breathe. Breathing moisture. It's like on the show we've been with Dr. Chow talking about breathing, how to learn to breathe is so important. And today I'm really excited. I have a guest that I've had on years ago, long ago, Dr. Fred Kirschenman, he's president of a group that 
works on the sustainability of agriculture. And Fred taught me a lot years ago about the evaporation when you're an organic farmer of how you kill those fields and that soil. And something he taught me on the show at that time, that if you don't have healthy soil, you're not going to have a healthy planet. Your soil has to be healthy. And as I've mentioned to you many times, California keeps making so many mistakes. I can't believe it. They turned off the spigot. Their soil of their branches and farms and agriculture became cracked and aged and seriously dehydrated, over-evaporated. Soil is a species of life. It cut it off. The aquifers that are below there are vital for the irrigation system and the rain to replenish. That species of water, that's a water, that's water as a species, it's an organism too. It was cut off. And through the years now we have had on here from San Diego, Orange County, they are recycling their water and they came up with a lot of new exciting technology. My only concern is if they're putting all of the waste in the ocean, will the ocean get too warm in that area uh, and then spread that organism of problems into other parts of the ocean? The ocean cannot get warmer. We cannot have it get warmer. We're putting, dumping a lot of waste in the ocean, a lot of garbage in the ocean. We haven't been thinking about the ocean's temperature. That's why it's vital that we invent new technology with fresh water. Today I will uh, be introducing to you Dr. Kirshenlin, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun listening to, he's the president of the Stone Barn Center, Healthy, Sustainable Living with Food Systems and Agriculture. We'll listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist is in China now, and it's being introduced for the first time, and the people of China, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, breath of life to mist, tissue culture grades water at your fingertips with your visions and a new lifestyle to bring to the world and notice that if when you're misting and supplementing the atmosphere, you will have a healthier life and a healthier eyes. For dry eye. We'll listen to our sponsor with just a mist, and we'll be back with Dr. Kirshenman. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinerHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinerHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Kirschman, are you with us? I'm here. My gosh, we were together years ago. I, you taught me a lot when you were on. <laughs> Well, yeah. you know, I'm one of those who believes that soil is vital. And we have a tendency to forget that soil is just as important as other species. Yeah. And that day when you were teaching me how when you would till those fields, and then all of a sudden in my field is studying the evaporation of water and uh, water's uh, healthiness of our water to slow down that evaporation of of not only the planet, but our own health, I found myself taking what you said and t- understanding that the evaporation, when you were killing, you were pulling moisture w- from the air to help the soil so you would, you would need to use as much water. Right. So I dove in after that show and started studying more about soil. And I found that our lives on this planet depend upon a healthy soil yeah. and the problems of that sand and, and, and the species of the soil organism being diminishing is one of the greatest problems we could have, Doctor, with this global warming problem. Now, you might disagree with me, but uh, before we get into that, tell, my, uh, tell the audience a little bit about you and your background. You've been actively involved for many years. You're president uh, on, on the board of Stone Barn Center for Sustainable Health of, of Food Systems and Education. But tell us how you got there. How did, why, why are you doing this? Yeah, well, like uh, the rest of my life, uh, I, I've never done anything that I've planned for. It's always responding to things that come up, and, uh, and that was no exception. Um, I uh, the, the, I'll try to keep the, the story short, but the way it happened was, um, uh, you know, uh, Peggy Delaney, uh, who's David Rockefeller's daughter, uh, she was the one who decided to uh, create the uh, and the stone barn had actually been built uh, when uh, J D Rockefeller was head of the family back in the 1920s, and uh, was originally built as a dairy barn, and then. Uh, when David Rockefeller got married and, and, and he took over the operation uh, of the, uh, the Rockefeller estate, uh, uh, his wife, whose name was also Peggy, uh, she decided that uh, she still wanted to continue to be a farmer after they got married. And David apparently said that was okay as long as it didn't lose money. And uh, so uh, Peggy was an incredible uh Woman, uh, she was on the board of the uh, Nature Conservancy back then, and uh, already understood the importance of farmland preservation. And so she tried to talk the Nature Conservancy into taking farmland preservation on as one of their issues. But their board couldn't quite see how farmland preservation was a part of conservation. So she left the Nature Conservancy and started the American Farmland Trust and uh, oh. became involved in that. 
but the short story is that uh, she died suddenly uh, in 1996, and. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then, uh, and and she had started to use the stone barns for her calving barn, uh, and she was raising uh, grass-fed uh, beef cattle uh, uh, and and semitol uh, breeding stock, so it added value, so it wouldn't lose money. Mm-hmm. And when she died, then of course the stone barn was sitting there vacant, and uh, and then Peggy Delaney, uh, her daughter, said, "Well, we have to do something about this, otherwise it'll just deteriorate." And um, so together, uh, she and David came up with the idea, well, why don't we turn it into a, uh, a, a center for sustainable agriculture in my mother's memory, uh, which he liked. But again, he said that it needed to also have some income-producing activities so it wouldn't be a drain on his estate into perpetuity. Mm-hmm. And together, they decided to invite an upscale restaurant because there wasn't one in that Westchester County area. And... Um, so uh, they uh, uh, sent out a, a request for proposal to 10 chefs in the New York area that they figured had the capacity to create the kind of restaurant that they wanted. And then Dan and David Barber mm-hmm. uh, were the ones that got the contract for that. And Peggy knew that Dan Barber had, was the kind of chef who, uh, through his whole career, had understood that the way to get the best-tasting food was to find farmers that managed their soil for soil health. Uh-huh. So she asked Dan whether he would help her find a uh, advisory group of about 20 people to help her put together a, a strategic plan for the Stone Barn Center. And Dan Barber had always been good friends with Kathleen Merrigan, so he contacted Kathleen Merrigan to see if she could help him identify uh, 20 people for this kind of advisory group. And Kathleen Merrigan and I had served on the National Organic Standards Board together for five years, so that's how my name got put on the list. And oh. I've been a part of it ever since. Wonderful story. Um, I've had the Rockefellers here many years ago as guests. David Rockefeller and a few of them. And so I'm understanding their philanthropic thinking and what a story. And what a vision that you all must have had so far back, because yeah. the finest restaurants now, I think, correct me, in Manhattan and around the world are going out into the farmlands and working yeah. with farmers to raise their food that they're yeah. preparing at their restaurants. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and, uh, and, and just the, the Stone Barns now has, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's raising uh, both fruits and vegetables and animals mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. and doing that uh, in a regenerative way. That is, uh, everything that's used in the operation uh, comes from the operation. Uh, there's nothing mm-hmm. that is, there are no inputs that are brought in from outside. So it's entirely based on, uh, on soil health and uh Right. And, uh, you know, I always tell people that if they go to eat at, at the Blue Hill restaurant, uh, they're never going to get a menu because uh, they, don't, they don't feature a menu. What they do is the server comes to your table to ask you what kind of food that you like to eat, and then they remind uh-huh. them of which foods are available in season from uh-huh. the Stone Barns during that time. And then they put together uh, a, uh, 
know, a, a, a menu for them based on the foods that are available. And uh, the one thing that I also always tell people is one of the things they can be sure of, it's going to be one of the best tasting meals they ever had, which has always been true. Oh, my gosh. And what's the name of that restaurant you just mentioned? It's the Blue Hill Restaurant at Stone Barns, yeah. Oh, the Blue Hill. It is at Stone Barns. Yeah, yeah. My gosh, what a story. I love that story. Well, you can imagine myself way back in time, Dr. I was crazy, and I thought to myself, what's Because whenever a person was diagnosed with a terminal problem, they went under stress. But I first of all, it was the family causing a lot of it. Because families have a tendency to let the person know by not consciousness that how they feel. They're worried. And that would cause more stress. Well, then as I studied to get deeper and deeper into the haystack, to look for that needle of breath, I dawned on me that the evaporation of the problems of the disease is what caused the individual to already have that symptom. They were over-evaporating as an individual, water loss. So through the years, as I study water loss of the evaporation of the body and those symptoms, I began to study the water vapor of the atmosphere and the communication. And we've had on here, and it'd be fun to have you on with him sometime, um, Dr. Gerald Pollack from University of Washington has been studying body water, and he found a fourth water in the body. Right. And as we and I were talking on the show, and I said, now, doctor, is that fourth water? He said, Sharon, you don't understand. It's kind of like a, a, a gel water. I said, well, then that's why we're not profusely over-evaporating. And that's why when the CERN group announced the dark matter, Earth isn't out of control, over like a sieve, over-evaporating. So as I bring our conversation right now, is your dedication to this needs to be brought out further to me. Um, we need to get people better educated, doctor, on the streets. They're confused. And the soil, and you and I, you taught me when we were on the show the first time, when you were killing those fields and how you kill those fields each time. All of a sudden, I was like a light bulb. They were killing those fields to communicate with an evaporation of the soil to be able to draw like an electric battery. And that's what Dr. Pollock says. Every human being is a battery charging with the electric rod of the atmosphere. It's water. It's the water. So the soil then, as a living organism, as you were attracting that electric rod to the atmosphere, you wouldn't have to use as much water because it was supporting by slowing down the evaporation, but also in another electric way, being able to absorb from the air because of the temperature of the soil and how you were tilling it, was able to use less water. Did you follow me just then? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah it's, and, and I think, the, you know, one of the really culture, deeply embedded cultural problems that we have uh, in our culture today is that uh, uh, we think of ourselves, first of all, as humans, as somehow being separate from nature, and that our responsibility is to force nature to do what we want her to do in our interests. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, from that kind of cultural perspective, uh, we almost totally miss the fact, miss, miss, miss the uh, 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 awareness that we're actually a part of nature. Uh, you know, Aldo Leopold uh, put it very eloquently uh, almost 100 years ago, when he said that we are not the conquerors of what he called the land community, and by land community he meant all of the life in the land of which we were a part. So he said we are not the conquerors of the land community, we're simply plain members and citizens. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that is the core cultural transformation that we need to make now, uh, and particularly at this moment in our history, because all of those cheap inputs that we have been using uh, for the last, uh, well, since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, uh, are now in a state of depletion, and so they become more expensive. And so uh, we're going to need to make this transformation uh, where we, uh, the, the term that we're fortunately starting to see a lot now in our literature is the concept of regeneration so that everything that we use in nature needs to be regenerated in the process of using them and renewing mm-hmm. in the process of using them. And, uh, and, and then, of course, we begin to see water as not something separate, as a commodity you know, that we just buy, but rather uh, it's an integral part of that land community. Uh, and then uh, I think we begin to uh, see it differently, relate to it differently, and, and use it differently. And I've always appreciated, uh, uh, I don't know if you're acquainted with uh, Christiana Papard. Uh, she's a, um, actually a theologian, uh, but uh, water is the key issue that she uh, works with. And she wrote a book several years ago called Just Water, Theology, Ethics, uh, and the Global Water Crisis. And um, what I like about her work is that she uses religion and theology as a way of framing the water issue as being an integral part of all of life. And, uh, and uh, she has, uh, and in fact, uh, I think it was the third chapter in her book, she, uh, she talks about water as a human right, not an economic commodity. Now, where, and, uh, where does she live? She lives out in New York, yeah. Okay, and um, after the show is over, if you could email me, I would like to have her on because that's where I came from with my studies. Is sure, I and I'm sure she'd see, love to do that. I I'll, can understand I'll, I'll why. Contact information. Long ago, doctor. Yeah. They were smarter than we are, wiser, more visionary, more rhythmetic, let's say, with their right. faith and their religions. Water right. was always a priority because they yeah. believed God was in the water. And her thinking is uh, what we're finding is the confusion of what is happening today that the education on the streets, it's 
it's like when I started studying the human body and the word moisture. And people would, I'd interview people on, around, but not on the show, years ago, and they'd think moisture was like a cream. You moisturize and it's a cream. It's moisture is, then I finally I'd say, and the word dry was using, if you're dry, you're using a chemical or whatever. The word dry means water loss. Yeah. And the, the words that we're using, we're using through these many years, and I became way back in time as a young girl, curious on why that word was invented. So as I came along studying here, you stop and think, why did a person use that word? It's confusing. Yeah. And water is the priority of all faith. Everything there is on the planet, it's the water. And I have people out of NASA say, global warming means yeah. water. Yeah. P- people are confused. Yeah. Well, I think, I think one of the other things that uh, the people in our culture don't understand very well is uh, that, you know, uh, of all the water on the planet, and there's a lot of water, but there's only about, I think it's, if I remember right, the statistic about 2 or 3% of the water on the planet is fresh water, you know, right. which, we, which is what we need and what we use uh, as, uh, you know, as human animals on the planet. And... Uh, and and currently we're using about seventy percent of our fresh water just for agriculture irrigation, and again this gets us back to soil. The reason that we have to use so much water for irrigation is because we don't pay attention to the health of the soil, and right. so uh, soil only absorbs about a half inch of rainwater an hour, and then it starts to run mm-hmm. off, and then of course mm-hmm. it contributes to another problem with the runoff. It takes nutrients with it, and then you know, creates the dead zones and uh, and and the and the other bodies of water, but um, you know, and here again is there is a little. I always I always try to look for some good news, and there is uh, uh, a little bit of good news. Uh, and uh, David Montgomery uh, has just come out with a new book uh, called "Growing a Revolution," and uh, and the title of that, the subtitle is "Bringing Our Soil Back to Life." And he writes this book based on, I think it's the seven or eight farmers that he visited when he was on a sabbatical and spent several weeks on each of these farmers' farms. And these farmers all are doing essentially three things. They're reducing their tillage, which, of course, contributes to the soil health. They include cover crops, which uh, contributes to soil health. And they increase their diversity so that the whole system functions, again, as a regenerative kind of system. Doctor, and, uh, we have to take one break, and that's got to, they okay. just let me know, this is the one, and we're going to come back and okay. continue that for us to educate us. Well, listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, with just a mist. Dry eye means that the surface of the eye is 99% water, and that you need to supplement the eyes like you supplement the body with other things that you apply with, uh, during the day and to make sure you're healthy. Nature's Tears Eye Mist is now in China and, and growing around the world here very soon to be the new lifestyle to supplement the surface of the eye to slow down the evaporation that causes vision impairment to blindness. Well, listen to our sponsor, 
with just a mist, and we'll be right back with Dr. Kirschman. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You're listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, health, environment, and the power of water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Kirshenbein, could you repeat, I hate to do this to you again, but let's repeat those three things again so they're fresh in our uh, audience's thinking. Yes. Yeah, well, I just uh, 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 finished the story about uh, David Montgomery's the farmer that David Montgomery uh, and uh, uh, was visiting. And um, just to give one example, a farmer up in North Dakota who's been doing this threefold kind of farming with, uh, you know, reduced tillage, uh, incorporating cover crops and, and diversifying his operation. And uh, his... The soil on his farm now absorbs eight inches of rainwater an hour instead of a half inch. And uh, that's, of course, not only important in terms of, you know, our current operations, but as we uh, know, the impact of climate change, which is going to mean uh, more droughts and more floods uh, and, and, and not, as, uh, not, not as stable a kind of rainfall that, we're, that we've been used to having for, uh, you know, a century or so. Um, so during the flooding p- periods, the soil absorbs more moisture into the soil by absorbing eight inches of rainwater instead of a half inch. And then during the drought periods, there's more moisture in the soil to sustain the plants. And um, mm-hmm. and the other thing that was amazing to me is that all of these farmers, the other thing that they all told David Montgomery is that they were no longer interested in getting bigger because the system is working so well for them. Wow, that's a good one. Now, um, when you're talking about this, the soil, sustainability of the soil, I also think about the aquifers below there. Yeah. So well, that's, uh, that's that's the other thing. You know, if we at the rate that the, again at the rate that we're using uh, water out of the aquifers for irrigation and uh, you know, I'm of course uh, I live here in Iowa, and so. Uh, uh, part of the, the Great Plains, and the Ogallala Aquifer provides the uh, uh, practically virtually all of the irrigation water for agriculture from Texas all the way up to southern South Dakota. And all of the analysis that I have seen 
is that at the rate that we're withdrawing the water out of that aquifer, there's only going to be irrigation water available at most for another 20 years and probably no more than 10 years. So these are, these are uh, you know, issues that, in other words, my point here is that the way in which we deal with water is no longer simply a moral obligation, which it is, but it's not just a moral obligation. Uh, this is something we're going to have to do uh, if we're going to have any kind of sustainability in our uh, you know, food and agriculture system. Well, and sustainability, you know, um, years ago I had a scientist on and I said something about eternity and she said, Sharon, he doesn't see the earth for eternity. And I, I believe that with all the technology that we have heard learning and the will of God's teaching us, bringing to the audience, to the world, to the streets, there could be new ideas, new inventions that everybody could participate in with knowing their body is water, the air they're breathing is water, the life on the planet is water, and fresh water has to be protected, and we need more fresh water on the surface, but in a balance so it doesn't overheat right. the uh, atmosphere and cause more warming, so of over-evaporation for everything. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and um, to me, that's an exciting new infrastructure invention for the whole planet. Yeah. Can you imagine that as a new technology for infrastructure planning? Yeah. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second because of the timing this weekend. Um, What happened in Paris? And I was hearing about it. And we all want to be conscious, clear, and like you said, the morality of protecting our planet. But I went along with the president for now to take another evaluation of this because of the billions and billions of dollars, what, what is it going to do? Where, where is the money going? Why, where, what is the plan? Did they write a business plan? Did they write a plan of what it's going to accomplish? So the idea, if you really want to uh, do something that is long-term planning and in stages of good planning... You've got to sit, stand back and not throw the billions of dollars out there until you know that it's going to be doing something worthwhile and not just creating new uh, committees and new uh, foundations and new grants and new uh, um, all these things that people do and, and not get enough done. Because look at the crisis that the world is in already and the yeah. crisis it's in with water. Yeah. Now, what is your thinking? Well, yeah, that's exactly right, and uh, and this is why I think that we uh, we we have to make this transition to this alternative culture, where uh, we don't just mean you know food and water and all these essentials aren't just commodities, you know that we acquire for ourselves, and. Uh, but again, I think part of the good news here is, and, and Paul Roberts made this point in his book, The Impulse Society, 
in which he said that... I love um, that word, impulse society. Yeah. yeah. And his point was that we, 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 we really moved into this, uh, 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 this impulse society culture in the early 1960s. And, uh, and the other term which he used, which I like even better, is that it's a culture where it's all about mine and now. You know, and so there we, we operate. Yeah. Yeah. We operate on the basis of trying to extract as much wealth for ourselves for the short term. Are we seeing that with this global warming and climate change? And yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Doesn't that break your heart? It's, yeah. it's worse than yeah. that. It's dangerous. Yeah. What they're the causing is a very dangerous. His, the important thing about his analysis is that he is saying that this mine and now culture, this impulse society, is increasingly becoming dysfunctional now. And yeah. uh, I know, uh, for me personally at least, I have the opportunity to work with a lot of our millennial generation at the Stone Barns. And um, mm-hmm. I don't want to over-romanticize this because I'm not saying that it's 100% of the millennials, but I would be surprised if it wasn't at least 20% at this point. And they're really in it for the common good. How do we do this together? And, and how do we do this in a way that we understand that all of the natural world that we live in, including our water, is a part of ourselves and a part of the world that we live in. And we have to manage this in a way that it's regenerative and that it's self-renewing. And so that's inspiring. Right. That is very refreshing. Because and I've wondered about it. In fact, um, when I've been a guest speaker with children, you could hear a yeah. pinfall. Yeah. I never want I never want uh, notes in front of me. Um, I want to get them first understanding their water, and they you lo- they look at you like when I start teaching people the amount of water in their body, and each organ is a body, and the water, and your mother's womb, and the water, and what's happening, and then once yeah. you arrive out in this water of vapor, you begin this evaporation, no two eyes alike, no two fingerprints, we're all evaporating from moment to death, and uh, they're just shocked. They never thought of it. They never thought of it. And then when they get to think about we're swimming in that water we can't see, but we wouldn't be alive if that water vapor wasn't there, that's yeah. atmosphere. Then you teach them about the Earth's relationship is identical to how we're all living. It's living the same way. Yeah. Breathing. And the universe of our lives with the rest of the solar system, they're all out there struggling. And we all know how slow it goes, Doctor. Nothing goes fast. It's slow and very rhythmatic. And take that rhythm. And, but you're right about what happened here. I'm 75. And I look back at that impulsiveness. I've had it around me. Then I have this now. Everything has to be now. Yeah. And no stages, no planning, no rhythm of, of I always say, behavior. They want it to go, if it doesn't go fast enough for them, they'll shove it and throw it away and start all over or just think, I guess it wasn't going to work. And you can't do that with the nature of our planet. And look, doctor, look at what they've done with the diseases of human life. 
they have like 10,000 diseases and only 500 medications, and they're not finding cures anymore. Yeah. So that book, there, he's right, impulsive now and then, and that's what happened even in research. If you can't do it the way we want it, we're not going to invest in you having any money to do it. Yeah. Yeah, because it has to be now and, yeah. yeah. Now, back to uh, the, the Stone Barn Center. Tell us a little bit more. That sounds very exciting. How many people come through there a year? Well, uh, there's, uh, first of all, there's about 10,000 children that come through a year. Uh, and from uh-huh. my point of view, that's one of the most important because, uh, you know, a lot of these children uh, who live in these urban environments and, uh, and like, is, uh, you know, the problem, one of the key problems from my point of view that we have with children is that we no longer uh, engage them you know, in nature, uh, you know, they all spend most of their time in, you know, in front of computers and and cell phones, and uh, and so this nature deficit disorder is a huge, huge problem. And just to give you one example, um, we have arrangements with some of our school systems in that region, and so they bring their children out to the stone barns uh, with the school bus, and so they spend a half a day. Uh, you know, engaged uh, with nature and agriculture, et cetera, and uh, and it's part of their curriculum. And uh, and I, I could I could tell you a hundred stories, but my favorite one is uh, one of our staff members. Uh, a, stu- a school bus came up, brought out some eight nine year old children, and uh, so she took them from the bus and immediately took them out to one of the gardens to show them where food was grown and how it was grown. And then at one point, she reached down and pulled a carrot out of the ground and washed it off and, and handed it to the kids so they could each have a bite of the carrot see how great they tasted. And she said, this one little eight-year-old boy walked right up in front of her, looked right in the eye and said, oh, gross, who stuck those in the dirt? Now we can't eat them. <laughs> and, uh, and then, but then the feedback that we got from the parents a couple of years later was that this young fellow this long, young little eight-year-old had become so engaged around growing food and how food was grown and became so passionate about that that he talked his parents into turning a part of their lawn into a garden so that he could grow food for the family. Oh, and, that uh, is so sorry. Those are some of the kinds of transformations that take place. But, uh, but anyway, so there's about 10,000 children that come through there a year, and uh, right now we're at, uh, uh, I think it's about 50,000, you know, people that, uh, uh, that you know, uh, participate in the Stone Barns. So there's, uh, uh, there's 50,000 total that yeah. have been participating. Right, So yeah. when we talk about Stone Barn Center... Is it open six days a week, seven days a week? Tell us a little bit about the yeah, operation. It, uh, yeah, Mondays and Tuesdays are the are the quote unquote weekends for for the staff, both at Stone Barn mm-hmm. and at the restaurant. Um, so uh, the the grounds are open uh, Wednesday through Sunday, uh, and there's a cafe uh, that's uh, you know open from ten o'clock in the morning until five o'clock in the afternoon. So. You know, mm-hmm. people can get refreshments there if they want. 
mm-hmm. the restaurant is always open from five o'clock in the evening until well late at late at night. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, there's uh, but there's uh, you know members can also come on Mondays and Tuesdays if they wanna and just you know uh, explore on their own on, and sometimes uh, we'll have uh, programs for them as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, the important thing uh, about, from my point of view at least, is about Stone Barns, is that it gives people an opportunity uh, to connect with soil, to see how important soil mm-hmm. is. Uh, and all of our staff, and especially Jack Elger, who is the uh, farm manager, uh, you know, for him, it's everything about soil and soil health. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, another, uh, in, in this regard, uh, from my point of view, another book that uh, David Montgomery and his wife, Ann Bickla, wrote uh, a little over a year ago uh, called The Hidden Half of Nature which goes into great detail about the microbes in the soil and that it's really, you know, there are, there are almost any microbe, as many microbes in a tablespoonful of soil as there are humans on the planet. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so soil is not dirt. Soil is this living yeah. community. The living species organism. Right, right. right. And it's, those, it's right. those microorganisms in the soil that, uh, you know, create the... Uh, the, the health-producing activities uh, from the soil, which then connect with the microbes in our gut, and um, right. so one of the most but important things. But you've got the background to explain something here. I always mention to our audience and through the years uh, the difference between um, soil and sand. Yeah. Explain that to our audience with your background. I'm sorry, the difference between soil and... And sand. Oh, sand, yeah. Well, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, soil is, is, has is this, this uh, 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 organic matter in it, which is what feeds, which what the microbes feed on. Um, mm-hmm. So sand is just, sand is just uh, you know, granules of, uh, of uh, uh, material, whereas soil is... Uh, this vibrant living community of not only the microbes but earthworms and uh, insects and you know all this all the and if, if you if you if you get a handful of soil from soil that's been managed for life in the soil uh, even when you have a handful of soil in your hand you're going to have some earthworms you know off the edges of it you're going to you're going to see a lot of that life. But the, mm-hmm. the, what, the life that we haven't seen for the most part is that hidden part of the life, that the microbes, and that's mm-hmm. the foundation. That's really the, uh, you know, the fun. And if we if we really want to do something about uh, revolutionizing our healthcare uh, issues, which we need to do, given uh, you know we're we're at about eighteen percent of GDP just for uh, that we spend on healthcare now, and we mm-hmm. can't continue to do that. So if we start to eat from healthy soil, which feeds the microbes in our gut, and and, and so that we actually have a health care system and not a sickness care system as we do now, uh, this is a critical direction that we need to move in. So I kind of explained this, to be a little more blunt, (laughs) about the fact that the soil is a living life of organism, of life. The sand is meant, it's becoming lifeless. Yeah. 
And um, then I bring up what's happened in Mexico, Arizona, um, and New Mexico, and different states in the United States, and could happen to California if they're not careful. Because they're, they, they were handed from way back in the 60s that's the philosophy of what to do to keep the soil healthy and, and full of life. But they chose yeah. not to do that. And yeah. have you ever have you driven through California lately and looked at those agricultural lands? They're cracking. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been to uh, California and uh, and and there are again there are uh, you know there are two kinds of cultures like in the rest of the world and uh, uh, and we do have uh, some farmers that are you know managing for soil health and uh, uh, and then and we also have some. Um, more industrial kinds of operations where that, uh, you know, hasn't been. Soil is cracking and it's becoming sand. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. And, and the other thing, that the, the reason I was a little reluctant to, to make a sharp contrast between soil and sand is because, you know, sand is not, uh, I mean, there, you, sand can also be managed in a way that it eventually uh, does have life in it. Uh, and so it's more a question of what kind of soil and what kind of ecology is most appropriate for growing what kinds of, uh, uh, you know, foods and, 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 and what mm-hmm. kind of life. And, uh, but, 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 but the point that you're making is so critical, and that is that if we manage soil in a way that doesn't sustain its life, that doesn't, you know, feed the mm-hmm. microbes, uh, then eventually mm-hmm. it, it more and more turns into sand uh, and doesn't have that life-producing uh, capacity. We're out of time, and I want to thank you. And if you would email me some of the people there that we could have on the show, and I'd yeah, like to I have would... you on with Dr. Pollock sometime, if you, when you both have the time. Uh, right. We'd love well, hearing. Uh... That would be a, a very good show. For your right. background and his background, and um, we can make the CERN group look like sound like they're going backwards with evaporation. But you have a great weekend, great summer. I thank you for taking your time for us today. My pleasure. And God bless. Yeah. And bye. Bye. Well, did we learn a lot today? Again, we've had Dr. Kirschenman on long ago, and when I was listening to him before, and if you listen closely. There's so much to learn about this planet you're living in on and what you, how you live for yourself personally. And remember, your life, your health, communicates with the health and the life of the nature around you. We all have so much to learn. As I said, we're in China right now, and for all of you in China, we are so excited that nature's tears I miss, the breath of life, to mist the tissue culture grade of water with the vision for your eyes to be a, have a healthier eye and a new lifestyle that you can breathe it. I want to thank you for listening today and embrace your life, but always embrace the value of somebody else's life too. Earth whispers, how? Don't say goodbye and leave something very special of yourself behind for all the children to come. You have a nice day and you be well.
Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com.